Welcome to episode 854 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 854 of I Am Talk with Coach John Hughes and Bevan James. Oh, John, you've got a great strategy. I've got a great strategy. This is the year of Mike. Well, no, well, that's a good strategy as well, which we'll talk about in a second. But you must have eaten like a dog on Christmas Day. Yes. And they say you're doing everything today. That's, that was part of the strategy. Yeah. yeah. Eat yeah. like a beast on Christmas Day. Yeah. Carbo loading. Carbo loading. Sugar loading. Let it settle in a little bit on Boxing Day and then purge it from my system that's on the 27th. <laughs> <laughs> so we are I, in our holiday period shows. Um, actually, let's just say quickly thank you to our patrons. Okay, I'm talking about you. Brought to you by yeah, Matt the Albatross Young, Joel Sensei Bell, and Robert Cuddles Evans. Uh, thank you to the patrons. If you want to become a patron? Go www.iamtalk.me. So we are in the holiday period. John and I are pre-recording all these shows, and we thought what we'd do is we'd do the triple mic. Triple mic. So we've got three shows we're going to be away. We'll be back in the studios on the 17th, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, of January 2023. But the three mics, okay, who are the three mics, John? We've got Mike Plant, um, Mike Riley. We thought that was apt given he called his last Ironman at Ironman New Zealand uh, at the start of December. And then another, I thought another mic would be Mike Pig because that was a good interview That's when we did that many years ago. Yeah, These are all interviews that we've done on the Legacy and the Legends show. Um, so today we're going to put Mike Riley. So maybe just let's talk a little bit about Mike Riley before we kind of get dig too deep into it. Um, a bit of a legend. He is a bit of a legend and been doing this for quite a quite some time. And one of those, one of the sort of originals, you know, you think yeah. about the original Iron Man race directors before Iron Man was this massive uh, conglomerate that it, that it is today. And they sort of back then they probably weren't so much doing it for the money, you know, no. they were probably getting compensated. Yep. But um, he's just grown with the sport and and very much the American and Kiwis uh, are probably more familiar th- with him than necessarily the, the European audience. You know, yep. they've got different commentators over there and obviously in different languages, but anybody that's been to Kona, you know, he's been there, I don't actually know what year he was there for the first time, but he's been there a very long time and synonymous with uh, when you cross that line in Kona going down a lead drive, it's a you pretty special moment. An Iron and Man. you are an Iron Man. Yeah, pretty so special stuff. It means a lot to a lot of people. So let's get straight into it. Here is Mike Riley right now. Righty-ho. Um, most of you guys around the world who have done Ironmans are going to know the voice of today's guest because he has been calling Ironmans. He probably called you in. He did. He called me in a couple of weeks ago. Not that I was, not that I could actually probably hear too much at that stage. But he's called over 130 Ironmans around the world, uh, calls in everybody in Hawaii, and uh, you know, pretty much everybody out there wants to hear Mike Riley say the words, you're an Ironman. So welcome along to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, um, Mike, uh, we always like to know the background about our, our guests. Um, you know, a lot of them are athletes. Some of them are, and you're obviously, you know, do do the voice work. So, you know, for you, before we get into the the voice side of stuff, you know, what sports were you into when you were a kid? Well, I uh, I, I grew up in high school and college here in the U.S. and I I was a uh, collegiate wrestler. I was a wrestler, oh, really? and then I. I moved from Ohio to San Diego, and all these people were running everywhere back in the late 70s, you know, running around the, 
the parks in the city and everything. So I hooked up with a couple of guys who were runners and I started running with them. So I ran my first marathon in like 79 and I ran, I've run about 15 of them. So I was running a lot. And then in the early eighties, late seventies, I hooked up with a group, you know, training for triathlons and doing this crazy thing called triathlon. So it, it, and so I started doing those and then, um, it was a running race here in San Diego that I was, uh, had a bad hamstring and so I couldn't run it, but I went down to watch my buddies and the race director said, what are you doing? And I says, I'm hurt. I can't run the race. And so she said, well, I've got this microphone and this speaker I brought to call people in. And I, I, right away I started laughing. I go, heck yeah. I want to make fun of my buddies running the race, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> and it just kind of grew from there in the, in the running and the triathlon business. Did, did, were you a good wrestler? I was, I wasn't bad. I wasn't bad. You know, it got me a scholarship through college, so it paid for my education. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and what did you study? I was, uh, when I moved out to San Diego, I was a special ed teacher. I taught uh, special needs kids in uh, junior high and high school here in San Diego. Well, so, so next year at um, Ironman New Zealand, we, we've just done an interview with Marco Albert, and he was saying uh, wrestling is a massive sport in Estonia. So we'll get you to have a, uh, a wrestle-off a, a wrestle yeah. with Marco Albert. Uh, what was a national sport? Wrestling. Wrestling. So that, that, he said it's really big over there. Oh yeah, Estonia, all those, all those countries, Yugoslavia. Yeah, definitely, it is. Yeah. I'm not gonna. Heck, he's like six foot four. He kicked my ass. <laughs> you know your place. So, yeah, we we had quite a few questions about um, about whether you you're going to do an Ironman one day, and, and I know Cam Harper said to me it's on on your bucket list. But so I guess if people are interested to know, firstly, that you actually did triathlons. Um, uh, for a while, and how long did you keep? keep you know, did you stay in triathlon for? Oh, I I, uh, I competed all throughout the eighties and nineties, and and uh, you know, every once in a while, I jump into a little sprint triathlon here in San Diego. But that's probably the extent of it. I mean, I, you know, I rode my my son-in-law's doing Oceanside seventy point three, so we went out and pounded about four hours yesterday on the bike and. And, uh, you know, the, the kind of the good part about it is, guys, I, I train like I'm doing an Ironman, but I don't have to worry about the event. <laughs> so nice. it's, it, it, it's uh, I think more people want me to do an Ironman than I want to do one right now. <laughs> and it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of not wanting to do it. It's just a matter of if, if you know, I announce 10, 11, 12 Ironmans a year. And if I would commit to an Ironman, I'd have to knock out four or five of them out of the schedule, and so change it my dynamic of what I do right now. So I don't, I don't know if I want to do that yet. Mike, can I ask, you know, like a lot of the guys we get on the Legends show are people who are kind of in the sport in their 80s, and, and you were more of a kind of a participant in the sport and probably in more of an age group kind of way. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about how you saw triathlon kind of come through and, and, you know, before you were actually kind of involved in the sport, what did triathlon mean in the area that you were in? And, uh, and maybe just show us, tell us a little about how it, you became aware of it and, and so on. Well, it, 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 you know what it meant back then in the late 70s, and we'd be on a place here at Fiesta Island, and Wednesday night we'd go around and run around it, swim around it, and, and bike around it. And it was just that it was cool. It was just that it was something different than putting all the running miles in to run a marathon. And, you know, I was running 80 to 100 miles a week consistently, and, and it, it, it was a change of pace, and it was a change of pace that all of a sudden we realized, hey, I'm not getting injured as much. And then we start seeing guys like, 
you know, Allen come out of the woodwork and, and Tinley come out of the woodwork, and these guys were so damn fast. Uh, you know, and, and it just became a thing where it was cool. It was something to do, and it was a Southern California lifestyle thing. You could do it year-round. Uh, I had no idea it was going to grow into what it grew into, and then, you know, the USTS series started here in the States, and they were the Olympic distance, and everybody wanted to do it. Those races were getting, you know, in the early days, 2,000, 3,000 athletes, uh, but nowhere else in the world were they getting those kind of numbers. So we felt, one, we were kind of leaders, which was cool, and it was just it just fit our lifestyle here. It's just plain and simple. And so for you, as um, you, know, you you talked about that first race, you just grabbed the microphone and and uh, gave gave some your mates some some wind ups. Um, how did things sort of evolve from that point on? And, and was it very much just um, doing it for fun early on, or did it quickly become a, a profession for you? Well, I was I was racing so much. Uh, I'd have event directors call me and go, hey, Mike, can you announce the race? I go, no, it's, it's a half marathon run, and I'm in your race. I'm doing it. I, I've, been, I've been training for it. And they go, oh, come on. And finally, one event director called and said, uh, matter of fact, it was the first one that put the mic because I was hurt. And she goes, uh, I really need you to announce this half. It was another half marathon. I go, I, I'm doing it. She goes, you know what? I'll give you $150. And this was like 78 or 79 and and just got married, and I go, really? You're going to pay me to bullshit on the microphone? This is unbelievable. <laughs> so I, I said, all right, I can always run a race, and then it just kind of grew from there where people would call me up and, hey, can you do this? Can you do this marathon? Uh, you know, I announced the first ever professional triathlon and here in Solana Beach, and so and I was one of the, you know, four race directors of the race, and it just – you know what, guys, it, it, it wasn't even an ego thing. It wasn't about me. It was about being able to really accentuate what I was seeing out there and let people know that this person just had a fantastic day and they finished. And, and I, I just, you know, and people would come up and be like, God, thank you so much for saying that. And you, you kept the event alive and you gave it a little bit of a personality. And you did. And I felt very proud of that. And I just wanted to, really honestly, I just wanted to keep doing it. Well, in regards to, you know, like nowadays, you know, like Marco Albert, he was saying how amazing, you know, the Ironman New Zealand finish was and, you know, you got crowds and the atmosphere and all the rest of it. What was it like back in those days? Was it, you know, there was the gear very good and, and uh, is it very much similar to what it was is now? You know what has never changed? Really? No matter how great the bikes are and everything, you know what has never changed? The emotion and passion of the sport. Mm. And when... Marco was coming in, and, and, you know, I knew he requested, uh, he requested uh, Tina Turner uh, simply the best. And so when I played that and I saw him and it started playing and I saw the look on his face, I go, this, this is the best. I, I, you know, I, I want to make sure he feels like a million dollars, $10 million, $20 million, because he deserves it. And I want to I let the crowd know that he's the best in the world on that day. So... It it really that's never changed. When I brought somebody in in Hawaii and in you know 1989, or when I brought somebody in at a marathon in '81, it it that emotion and passion of of finishing and accomplishing what you started is really the same. No matter how great the equipment is and the training and all the stuff you read and the you know it to me and and people go God, how do you keep doing that? But I've always been one to build on what you've done before. My best memories are about ready to happen and about ready to happen in Melbourne 
Yeah, we had great memor- memories in Taupo, uh, but I, I always look forward. So I want to make the next time I get on that microphone better than the last. And I, I, hopefully I've done it 130 times where something's added or there's more excitement or I can say something to make somebody's day even better. And that's how I look at it. That's why it's funny. People always call me about stories of history and everything. And I, I really like talking about the future more than I do the past, even though I was such a big part of the past, because that's where all the dreams are coming through. That's where all the memories are coming from. Mm, nice. We, we're going to struggle to talk too much about the future. <laughs> was, yeah. No, going, go was, ahead. I, I mean, you know, it's just... <laughs> and that's the end of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. That's over with. Yeah. I was just about to go into, um, yeah, the, the first time you did Kona, um, from what I could see, was 1989. And that well, must... Can I, can I just ask before that, when they asked you to do Kona, was was that like the pinnacle for you? Yeah, yes, yeah, it was. It was the pinnacle. It was. I saw it as a, a huge opportunity to become part of something that was, you know, it. It was like heaven. It was like, oh my gosh, we get to be in Kona, and I had never been there before. I'd been to Kona before, but not in Ironman time. And when I was asked to come over to help uh, assist, I said, "Well, I'm not going to turn this down." And it was actually the year I was going to do Kona. Uh-huh. 89 was when I was I was doing Kona and it was a hard convincing of me to do it to to announce it because I I one I actually had the thought god if I don't do it now maybe I'll never do it which was I thought and then my wife even said well that's stupid you can always do that race and they're going to pay you to come over to Hawaii and and do Kona uh you know and announce and I go all right yeah I'll do it well that was 25 years ago yeah. and 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 uh it, it was the pinnacle and and I just, you know what, I said, it's the greatest event in the world, and how can I help make it even greater? And that just was my goal, and is my goal every year. And 1989 must have been a pretty special year to have your first oh, announcement geez. over there with Dave Scott and Mark Allen and the Iron War. Oh, it was ridiculous. It was when I was getting everything used to come through the tower communication wise, and I was getting everything up in the tower on the on the aspects of the race where they were, and and I even explained it was it was like well, I, I said to the crowd, I said these guys are. It was about uh, it was about twenty five k into the run. I said these guys are still hooked together. You could tie a string from shoulder to shoulder, and these two wouldn't break it. They were running side by side in unison, and and my spotters every time they would call and go, you Mike, you wouldn't friggin' believe this. They they haven't looked at each other, that, and I'm thinking, oh my God, there's a war. This is a war, and you know, Mark's tried to win it six times and he hasn't, and Dave's a champion, and I go, this is incredible, and it was what we saw. And heck, that was the first year Rick and Dick Hoyt. I don't know if you know yeah, about yeah. you know uh, you know Dick Hoyt pulling his son Rick in the boat and. And and that happened too at the end of the day, and I'm going, oh my God, this is even more than I imagined, and it it was a great start. And we might as well go in '89 because that was the year that seemed to start everything. What was it like with Rick and Dick Hoyt? You know, like you know the coverage, everyone's seen it, and and it's such an inspirational thing. And I know a lot of people who have done Ironman that was their start point seeing that coverage. But on the day, what was it like being there? Well, I you know I, I've been writing a book for like four years, but it's like a never ending story. I just keep receiving all these stories, but I was standing in the tower. We had started the race. I was out on the end of the pier where the cannon was. I walked back to the tower. I climbed up it, uh, you know, watch everybody go on the swim. And guys, I looked down below 
And and by the way, I didn't know these two were in the race. I knew nothing about them. Really? I just, you know, you didn't have a lot of history and background, and I, you couldn't do a lot of research. There wasn't the internet. Yeah. People would just show up, and you'd, you'd talk to them and go, oh, my God, what a story. I looked down below, and there's this guy wrapping a cord around his chest with an inflatable boat behind him and this person in it. Wow. And I'm going, what the hell is this? And and somebody in the tower goes, oh, I think they're from Boston. And he does the race. His son's got uh, cerebral palsy, and he does the race with his kid. He's done Boston Marathon. I go, and he's going to do this? And I watched him swim away, and I'm thinking, there's no way this, this – how's he going to do it? There's just – what I was seeing was on, almost unexplainable. And I'm – I'm just in my inner thoughts going, well, I hope he does it. My God, he's pulling his son. And I got emotional thinking about it. And then listening to where they were all day long and then finishing just before midnight was, I, I you know, it's hard to explain. It's like five chapters talking about that yeah, with him. Can imagine. Yeah. So, so putting those, those um, you know, obviously those two massive stories to, to, to one side, what was it like turning up in Kona in '89 versus what it is now? Because you know now it's this massive corporate um, show, and you know this is one year after our good mate Scott Molina took the race in '88. You know triathlon wasn't what it is today. What what was it like? You know maybe compare '89 with say 2013 in, in in terms of the the atmosphere. I know you said that the energy is always there, but just in terms of the whole razzmatazz, what what were the big differences? Well, the big difference is the amount of people that are there, obviously, in Kona compared to 89. Uh, the finish line was big, but it wasn't anything like it is today. Uh, the crowds today are more knowledgeable about the athletes worldwide. So you get a lot of, I mean, people coming up to me and go, oh, my gosh, you know, Marco's the greatest or this guy from Germany is the greatest. Or that. I'm like, God, everybody knows every one of these pros. It's like a cult. It's like a fan base. Mm -hmm. But you know, the, the, yeah, there's a lot of corporate, there's a lot of stuff. And, uh, but when I am flying into Kona and I look at the lava fields, I get today the same feeling I get when I was landing in 89. Oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Now it's even more because my emotion of I know what's going to happen during the week and the, and the dreams are going to happen. And, and yeah, he, there's there's a lot of peripheral, you know, big companies own a lot of major events nowadays, and there's a different attitude and aura to it. But you know what? When that cannon goes off, I say to myself, here we go, guys. It's my day. It's their day. Let's have an Ironman day. And and I can't wait for those next 17 hours to unfold. And it's that's the same to me every year. It's the same. It's just, it, it, or even better. Every year. Oh, well, we're both going to be there this year, so we'll, uh, we're looking forward. Good. We're going to um, just take a quick break here, and we'll be back in, uh, in just a couple of minutes. Sponsor. Blue 70. Blue and 70. this is the Legends of Triathlon podcast and one of the legendary races that is out there in Bevan is it's on Bevan's hit list to maybe do one day as Norseman and Blue Seventy are heavily involved with uh, with Norseman. I have to admit, like I, I probably will do an Iron Distance race again in my life at some stage, and this would be the one that would be the one that would go. You know what? You've got to do this race. 
And if you want to do it, there's a couple of days left to enter their competition. It closes on March 31st, but you can go on to the Blue 70 Facebook page. We'll have a link onto that, and you can submit a uh, funky photo and uh, give them a few reasons why you want to go and do Norseman, and they've actually got some entries or an entry into Norseman that they're going to be handing over. So get imaginative, get on there, and get in the competition if you're interested in going Norseman. It sells out every year, so this is uh, this is your chance to give it a crack, and it's um, it is one of those incredibly iconic races. If you're doing any other races around the world, then obviously you're going to need a wetsuit. And Blue Seventy are the best in the business, so check out blue70.com and get yourself sorted. Jumbo, what are people looking for in a wetsuit? When you're not, let's say I'm a new person who's kind of new to triathlon, and you've just discovered the podcast, and you, you know you may be looking at buying your first wetsuit. What are you kind of looking at? Uh, well, it's a couple of things. Flexibility is one thing. Um, so, you know, if we look at the the Blue 70 range, the Helix has got unparalleled sort of flexibility through the shoulders. So the suit is very thin, gives you maximum flexibility. If you're a um, a, a slightly weaker swimmer, sometimes uh, the mid-range suit is actually suits people a little bit better. It's sometimes a bit thicker in certain parts and gives you a little bit more buoyancy. So, yeah, I swim in the Helix, find it absolutely awesome. A couple of things I really like about it is the a the reverse zipper that is the occasion where you can get your uh, your zip pulled down in a swim whether it be accidental whether somebody is actually just being a nasty bugger and, and pulls it down but the blue 70 uh, helix has a, a reverse zipper so it, go, it, it finishes at the bottom so it can't be pulled down so that's probably one of the key features I like but the, the helix has got yeah if if you've got a suit and you're struggling with that uh, and you just feel really cramped up and your shoulder flexibility is a real issue for you and you get tight it's the blue semi is nice and thin around there and very, very flexible. So, um, yeah, that's probably a couple of the key things. Thickness, if you're if you're a weaker swimmer, is is really, really important um, because that's going to give you added bit, um, buoyancy. And sometimes, uh, yeah, the mid-range suit gives you a little bit more thickness as opposed to um, flexibility. So a bit, a bit of a trade-off there. Yeah, good times, guys. So if you are looking at getting some, you know, your, your wetsuit, go to Blue Seven. They've got lots of options, and obviously you for that real high end swimmer or for a little kind of newer swimmer, but you can't go wrong, guys. A really, really great wetsuit. So Blue Seventy dot com. And this month we are auctioning off a Blue Seventy Helix. Oh, there so, you go. <laughs> there you go. Now's your chance to get one. Always goes well below retail price. So a lot of you guys in Northern Hemisphere, you know, coming into season, if you've uh, if you're in the market for a new suit, check it out. Uh, it'll be a ten day auction, and as I said, usually goes for well below retail, and it's just a great way for you guys to support the show and get yourself an awesome product and awesome price. Rock and roll, guys. So go to www.legendsoftriathlon.com and the link to that eBay auction will be up there, right there and there. Okay, okay Mike, we're back, and um, so you, you talk. Uh, a lot of our listeners, you know, want, want to know a bit more about about you. And um, you, so these days, you said you stay in shape with uh, with a bit of bit of riding, but there's there's, there's no racing on the on the uh, horizons any any time soon. Or do you still try to get out there and race a bit? No, I, my, my right now, I'll, I'll do two or three century rides and race those this year. You know stuff like that, but I don't think I'll. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a triathlon on the horizon this year, but you never never know. I could just jump into one. Uh, so yeah, it, it, you know, with my schedule and and like I rode twice in Taupo. I'll ride a couple times in Melbourne. You know, Specialized was nice enough to give me a bike down there, and and so I try to stay in shape on the road. But you know, I also have when I come back to San Diego, uh, you know, I have a full time job at the Active Network. I've you know was one of the original eight 
team members here and helped start this company, and I'm still here. So I'm, I'm at the office, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. So it's my schedule is, you know, and I know everybody can still get an Ironman and no matter what their schedule is, but yeah. I like the way that my lifestyle is working right now, and that's the way I'm going to keep it. Do you, do realistically, do you think an Ironman will happen? Oh yeah, before I die. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> nice. No, I, I mean, play, I, I, look at, I look at you know, I look at Lou Hollander and he finishes Hawaii and he's eighty-five. And when I bring him up on stage and I, or I see him on you know during the week and I look at, it, I go, dude, you look like you're fifty. It's unbelievable. So I go, what the hell? I got lots of time left. So <laughs> we've had um, a couple of people ask questions. Um, when that time comes to do an Ironman, have you ever given any thought as to which one it might be? You take a guess. <laughs> yeah. Surely you can get a Kona slot. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll probably give you one. I think that's part of my agreement. How's that? Nice. Um, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody, if, if anybody bitches and moans about Mike Riley getting a Kona spot, well then, I'm sorry about that. But, you know. <laughs> What, what, Figured what, I'd pay my dues. You know, nowadays, you know, like being a kind of a franchise model that kind of Ironman is, you know, there's a lot of similarities around the professionalism of how a race is ran. But, you know, you've obviously been to lots of different races. And when you go to the different races, what are the differences between, you know, the different locations and what different races bring? I, the biggest difference for me is because I get to see the inside workings of an event is the ground crew, is what I call the carnies, the the guys and gals that are actually in the trenches putting the event on, the ones that are there making sure the course is, is set up the night before, the ones that are there making sure the swim is safe, uh, the, the ones that are there during the day to make sure everybody's you know going the right way, uh, all the aid are at the aid stations. You know, it's that ground crew. It's, it's, it's the crew that fuels the plane. You know, without the fuel in the plane, it ain't going nowhere. And that's what I see. Iron Man uh, has an incredible uh, ground crew. They, they, they have most of the people that are working the Iron Man events are actually can be event directors of their own events, and they are. Mm. So they, they assemble really a professional group to be, make sure everything works well. Stuff you don't see, but yet stuff the athletes feel and, and happen for them. And, uh, and I'm not saying... Other people don't do that too of the events I see, but that that's where that that marks the difference of a race. You know how professional that crew is putting on the event. The ones you don't see all day long, the ones you don't talk to, but the ones that are controlling uh, the day, and that that's the biggest difference, guys. That's on the inside is where it's got to happen. And what about the cultural cultural differences as in, even outside, you know, the people who are coordinating the races? Like when you do a race with the, you know, are the crowds kind of different or is the crowd, like, you know, in Brazil, was it different to what's in New Zealand? Like, does that, or is that pretty much always the same? Well, yeah, the crowd that ends up being at an Ironman, obviously a lot of them are supporting their family and friends that are doing the event. Uh, so they're very knowledgeable about what's going on. But there's also a faction that come in, uh, whether it's in Taupo or, or going to be in Melbourne or whether it's in Lake Placid, New York, that want to see an, you know, an athletic accomplishment. And those crowds are getting bigger and bigger. It's pretty amazing to me that the area will draw out uh, people to come in and watch the race. So it's really, I, I mean, I ran Frankfurt last year at some of the largest, you know, they got like 250,000 people on the course. I've, yeah. I've never seen crowds of this size. It's like watching the Tour de France. It's, it's absolutely incredible to me. And I know Roth has the same in Germany, and, and a lot of the other events over there have huge crowds. Uh, but it's, 
it's kind of the same throughout the world. They, they get there, they're knowledgeable about what's going on, and they go crazy all day long. One um, point you just mentioned before it was about, about the active network and um, and the fact that you were one of the founders of that company. Given that most of us um, who do Ironman races around the world have an inter- interaction with active through the entry system, you know, how, how did all that come about and, and how have things grown with that company? It just seems huge now. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's been a lot of changes over the last fifteen years. The 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 gist of the company, obviously, was to do online registration. Now we do a lot of media and marketing. Uh, we do a lot of. We've got our hands in other businesses that take care of things like city governments and and parks and recreation and and national parks across the country. Fishing license. So we're we're into a lot of businesses. But our our bread and butter and where our passion is at, heavy duty, is in endurance. You know, it's it's running, it's cycling, it's triathlon. Uh, that's where it's at. That, that's where the company was born and bred. That's obviously what my uh, passion and background is in business, and, and it's doing very well. I mean, we've had, you know, we went public. Now we had somebody come along and buy us, a big company, but they understand the business. And it's interesting because if you bought a business that produces car parts or you bought a business that makes engines or things like that, you know, how much, there's a lot more passion in us than, than what those people are doing. And, and so people understand our business. And when they buy us, they, they buy, you know, and they obviously, like everybody, want to see profit. Uh, but also they want to see that the athletes are communicated with, taken care of. And, and you know, we're kind of the beginning step of that. So we're pretty proud of it. And, and uh, you know, we have <laughs> over, over a million people coming to our website each month. And that, that's a testament to, to what they're looking for on good articles. I've had a lot of people say, God, I, I read you know, how to do a triathlon first on active, and it was really informative, and thank you very much, and that makes you proud. I mean, you just, it makes you proud. How, how, how did those all start out? Tell us the story of what got you involved, and, and you know, wh- you know what, where did the idea spark, and how did your involvement, you know, where did it all begin? It began in, uh, by uh, uh, Mitch Schroer, who owned Triathlete Magazine at that time, at the late, you know, late 90, or actually, when did I start? Yeah, 98. And uh, I was uh, a sports rep. I repped, I repped everything. I was the first power bar rep in the U.S. I repped Saucony. I put together the Saucony triathlon team in the 70s. And, and so I took care of the western half of the United States for a lot of manufacturers that sold running and triathlon products. And then I uh, got out of that, and I was consulting for a lot of the sports companies, including you know, power bar and others. And then, uh, that given me a call and said, Hey, we know you can sell and you love this business. This is the company we're starting. And I'm thinking, wow, this, this could be the wave of the future. So I became involved in 99 and, and the rest is history. There was eight of us and now there's uh 2,500 employees worldwide. Wow. Very nice. One thing you can help clear up for us, because a lot of people bitch and moan when um, they enter an Ironman and there's a there's an admin fee and stuff in there. Can you explain, um, or, or just give your your side of the story as to you know why they don't just absorb that into the entry fee and why it's there and so on? Because that's a question again we get quite a lot. So you must be someone who can help answer that one. Yeah, the, the event business is is a close knit business when it comes to finances, and if people saw some of the the spreadsheets on putting on an event, you'd say, why do they do that? Oh my gosh, it's very hard to make any money. So when anybody uses their credit card to buy anything in the world, whether it's an entry fee or a pair of shoes, uh, the credit card company charges that merchant a percentage fee. Well, 
the percentage fee, the event director doesn't really want to pay, and we don't pay it because, I mean, we pay it uh, for the event director, but it's passed along to the participant. And it's just a choice that the events make. Some events will bury that fee, but then they add, add it to the entry fee. And, and uh, it's just that when you go to a retail store and you buy something, you don't see that credit card fee because it's worked into the price of the product. And that just really never has happened with, uh, with online registration. It's just the way it kind of started. People say, well, okay, it's another, I'm running a 10K race. It's another $2.50. And the race director goes, I'm not going to pay that. And, and we already paid it, so we have to charge the participant. If the event director wants to pay it and they make that choice, then they do. Then we don't charge the participant. And that's just, just the way of the business. That's just the way of the business. Cool. Um, so just a bit about how, how things have changed. Um, you know, we've, you've, we, we like to you know, look at the positive change we've seen in terms of the, the growth we've seen in Hawaii. I guess, you know, another positive, we see so much more coverage of our sport. It's become, become more mainstream. Um, but, you know, is there some change that's happened that, that you kind of miss, you know, or you, you reminisce about what it was like in the, 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 the 80s or 90s, you know, from, from going to races? Yeah, you know, it's like anything. When the business is smaller, it's closer knit because you know everybody. You know everybody inside your house. Now the business is a lot bigger. There are players in, you know, that are that are in the house, and you don't really know what they do or or where they came from. And a lot of people, since the business is growing, come from other. They come from other arenas. They come from other businesses, and then they come into triathlon. And I think they learn very quickly. It's a it's a different business than anything else, and it's a huge relationship business. And that's the thing I miss. I miss a lot of times you can you can do business with a relationship person that you've known for years on a handshake. Uh, but we've grown, and we've grown into a a big business for a lot of people. So you can't you can't handshake anymore. And that's just the old me saying, you know, I remember putting together large deals with manufacturers and and events with a handshake. And you just, you know, you can't do that anymore. You've got to have the contract, the agreement, the attorneys, the solicitors get involved. And it's just a way of the world with our business because we've grown and gotten bigger. Um, oh, you go. Yeah. You, might, you know, like obviously race day is a pretty epic day for you. Um, and I, I suppose there's a few questions around this. But the first one is, is how do you prepare yourself and maybe even before the race day um, you know, for that day, you know, like for to make sure that you can be in tip-top condition. Well, that's one reason I work out so much. Yeah. I mean, it, it. One, obviously, I have to stay, uh, you know, not in shape but healthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the traveling and you know the food you're eating on planes, and you guys know it's just, mm. you know, and I got I usually hit the ground running. You know, I hit the ground and I'm going to a meeting or doing something. So I want to, I, you know, I need to stay healthy. Uh, out of 130. Ironmans, I've never missed a day of work because I've been sick. And I've been sick at some races or not feeling well, but nothing to knock me out, knock on wood. So uh, that, that's, that's a big aspect of it. The other aspect of it is I do prepare for each event. I'll, I'll look at the bios of everybody. I, I, you know, I've got Melbourne in front of me here. And uh, I'll read through the names five or six times, each and every name, so that when it pops up during the day on race day and I see it, and uh, I see that name. It's not that I memorized it, but I've read it four or five times, and something clicks about the bio. Oh, yeah, she's got breast cancer. And it just, I don't know why I'm able to retain so much right before a race. And people will give me, 
They send me, you know, I've been Mike at active.com for friggin' 15 years. I've had the same cell phone mobile number for, and so people know how to get a hold of me. And I'll have all these notes written down of somebody said, hey, can you say this about my brother because he lost his wife? And, you know, and, and I don't like missing that stuff. I can't get it all, but I just, I read it all. And, I, and when race day comes and that person comes down the chute or I see him on a hot corner or coming out of the water, I can say a little something different like, you know, hey, she's thinking of you. And I'll see the look on his face and, you know, it's it's emotional. And But yet, it's, if it's going to help push him through that day, I, I'll give him everything I can give him, you know, when it comes to a personal story. So I prepare a lot. I mean, I, I read these things and next thing you know, I... I read so many names, and uh, hopefully I don't forget anybody. And but the old joke is, I'll after an Ironman, I come home and I forget my wife's name because <laughs> I go, "Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> What's your name?" <laughs> You're not lying, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, let me get in the mall. You are my wife. All right. <laughs> um, and what, just in terms of the you know the, the whole day, um, talk, us, ha- talk us through it. Yeah, talk us through you know when when your day starts and maybe just a bit about the the processes you've you've talked about you know you, you're doing your preparation before the day, but how do you stay up for the whole day and and what sort of information are you fed these days given all the technology we've got? Well, my day my day starts. Believe it or not, I hardly ever have to set an alarm on Ironman morning. I wake up. I'm up by four four thirty. Uh, I always like getting to the, the site when transition opens at five, just start talking to people. And, and, you know, I want to create that relaxing attitude. Everybody's scared. You know what? Because and you got, you got 700, 800 first timers. And, and so the day I, I take myself through the day, like they are, I want to be relaxed in the morning, get them in the water. Uh, Kona, half my stress for the day is the swim start. After the swim was gone and it started on time and everybody was safe and out of there, I go, all right, that's half my stress of the day. I mean, it, because you want getting a race started where everybody's nervous or something happens and it doesn't work or it, it doesn't start on time can ruin everybody's day. It can just, you start off on a bad foot, sometimes you stay on that bad foot. And I want to make sure it starts on time, everything's good, they know what to do. And, and after that's over with, I go, okay, here we go. Uh, and really the in-between time when I go to the hot corner or I'm receiving information on the course or through Ironman Live of what's going on, where the leaders are at, yeah, I'm relaying that to the crowd that are there and everything, but uh, my next part of my day starts when the winner's on his way. Mm. And then I bring, you know, the male top ones in, I bring the top woman in, and I'll go back up in the tower, and the very first thing I say to the guys up there, all right, boys, let's rock and roll for the next nine hours. Here we go. Mm. And it's just it's just like on automatic. I just, I don't like taking breaks. I, you know, if I got to go to the bathroom, I run back up there. And uh, I just don't want to miss. I've had people, you missed me, Mike. You didn't call me an Ironman. And my first reaction is, well, you were delirious. I know I did. And they start <laughs> laughing, you know. Oh, yeah, I was. I, again, I don't remember nothing. So, uh, <laughs> and so I convinced. But, you know, obviously I can't get everybody because sometimes I can't be up there, you know. Or it just, it just I need a break. And I usually can go, my voice can go about 45 to 50 minutes. And then it needs about five minutes. <clears throat> and it's just the way it is. It's just... Uh, but if I take too long of a break, the voice starts shutting down. It's a weird thing what happens. You got to keep it flowing, keep it liquid. 
but if I take if somebody if I took a 15 minute break, I'd come back and my voice be a hard time bringing it back. Mm. So as, I've trained it to stay in action. I just what's it like the next you know, day? I, I, well, the next day is the next day. I, whatever happens, I wake up. Oh, can you I talk? Usually don't talk. I don't talk to anybody. I go for about an hour without trying to say anything. I drink some hot liquid, whatever tea or whatever it may be, and then I start talking light. And you know, it, it, and it, by by noon the next day, one o'clock the next day, it's back pretty well, and and then I'm ready for the awards ceremony. Very nice. So we know. And um, then after the awards, you know, the worst time is coming home for after the awards, and you go partying that night, and you come home and you go, oh my god, I'm beat up. Just, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it, it, it must be hard coming to a, a lot of countries. You know, New Zealand, we've got some uh, some fairly interesting names down here. Um, and I know in New Zealand you've got Cam Harper and, and, and so on helping you out with names. But is that the case at most races? You, you know, people wonder how you get it right all the time. Um, do you often have a, a local helping you out with the names for funny pronunciations? Yeah, I don't in the U.S. I'm, I'm pretty good about even the... Hungarian U.S. names or the Polish ones or, you know, growing up here and been, being all over the country, I usually can nail a lot of the yeah, U.S. names. And trust me, if I don't say it correctly, I hear about it right from the athlete. But, uh, you know, and I tell people, remember, if I mispronounce your name or where you're from, it's the thought that counts. So it, it, it but in the other countries, it's tough. In, in Montreal, which is French-Canadian, that's, that's difficult. And I do have somebody there with me and I'll point at the name and he'll tell it to me and I can... I can nail it exactly as they said it to me. So I do the best I can. Like Cam helped me with a lot of names. and But more being down there, you know, I don't say Laranga. I say Faranga. You know, I, I, I know the <laughs> – I, I know some of it. But, yeah, I, I need help. I want to make sure I say the correct thing on the, uh, on the names. And some people come up to me and go, I cannot believe you pronounced my name. And I'll go, what is it? And I go, really? I said that correctly? And they go, yeah. So in the moment of – and after reading the names and kind of reading them over and over, I go, I think it's pronounced this way. Sometimes you got to guess, mm. you know, because names are tough. I mean, holy crap, yeah. there's just some names out there. I did. There was a guy at, in Taupo who was uh, Greek, and he had a name with 28 letters in the last name. Wow. <laughs> His first name was uh, Ashid, and, and when he came out of the water, yeah, when he came out of the water, I go, she, great job. And by the way, the last name's not going to happen today. And he just laughed and pointed at me because he knew I'd, I'd have butchered 28 letters in the last name. <laughs> so when he came into the finish line, I go, she, you are there, man, buddy. He points up to me like like it's okay. And, I, uh, you know, I've never I, – I can't remember doing, ever doing that, not saying somebody's last name. But that, that one wasn't going to happen. I had to – no way. Can you can you tell us the story of um you how you are an I man came along? Yeah, it was uh, Kona in 1991. It was two. I had already done the race two years before. Never said it. Never thought about saying it. Nobody ever said to me you should say it. So uh, I had a friend who was in Kona uh, doing the race, and and I met him on the street two or three days before the race, and he was nervous. He was. He goes, Mike, I don't think I can do this. This is terrible. I don't know if I trained. And he was really down on himself and negative. And I go, you'll be okay. Don't worry. You're going to finish. There's a lot of people in the race that feel like you, and you're going to get it done. I'm just trying to give him encouragement. And uh, one of the last things I said to him, I said, you know what? You're, you're going to be an Ironman. 
And he goes, all right. And he walked away, and I'm thinking, God, I hope he finishes. Jeez, he's got a bad <laughs> attitude. I'm going, this dude, I don't know if he's going to do it. And so uh, uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, go- the day goes by, and I don't even remember. Somebody tried asking me the other day, what time did he finish? And I, I think it was around 12 hours or whatever. Anyway, I remember him coming down to Lee Drive. That time, we didn't have a read mat. I spotted everybody through the binoculars. Really? I see the race number. Oh, yeah, see the race number. Uh, either look it up on the paper and then call it out. And thank goodness there wasn't so many people in the race you could do that. So I look up and I go, oh, my God, there he is. So he comes in. I yell out his name and I say, Jimmy, you are an Iron Man. And all it was doing was confirming the conversation we had. Like, dude, you did it. You are an Iron Man. And I kind of pointed at him and he looked at me and he went crazy. But after I said that and he just he like, he just, his face and his smile, but then the crowd went nuts. I go, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll do that for the next person. So the next person comes in and it's this girl. And I said, Jane, whatever her name was, I go, you are an Iron Man. And just to say what you did and the crowd went nuts and she's like going nuts. And I go, oh my God, I think this will work. Maybe I'll do this. And I didn't do it like everybody because it was even, it was redundant to me. And then I thought about it. I go, so what if it, it sounds like it's happening a lot? They're hearing it for the first time. It's their day. Not, I don't care if somebody's sitting in the audience and they hear it 1,500 times. I mean, I care, but it's, it's about the person finishing. So I started saying it. And the crowd every time. And afterwards, guys came, dude, you call people an Ironman. That's so cool. They're, they are an Ironman. I go, I know. Isn't that cool? And it was like having a conversation with people. So it bred from there, and I couldn't wait to get to the next Ironman. And I didn't do another Ironman except Hawaii. I did 92 Hawaii, and 93 I went to Foster, and I, I started doing it there. And people came up to me in Australia and go, oh, oh, my God, that's so cool. Do you do that in Hawaii? I go, yeah, I call people an Ironman. Oh, my God. And it just grew from there. It, and what? all I was doing was telling them what they were. <laughs> why, why do you think it, it's connected so well? I think it gets connected because it puts it puts an exclamation point on their life. Some people come up to me and go, this was the best day of my life, and you confirm that. Mm. And, and, and I trained a year, two years, six, whatever the time they trained, and you're telling me what I am, and you're telling the world what I am. And I, and I deserve it because I, you know, it's not an ego type thing, but yes, I am an Iron Man. Oh my gosh, you told my family I'm an Iron Man. My kids, and that's, I get emotional about it because kids will come up to me and go, you called my dad an Iron Man since I've been nine years old. Mr. Riley, I'm 18 years old and I'm doing the race in two days. Uh-huh. And it's because you called my dad an Iron Man. And I hope to God you call me that. And I'm thinking, whoa. So it transcends who you are, but it makes you what you are. It's, it, you can, somebody could probably write a philosophy book on it, and I don't know if I'd understand it. But when I say it to someone and I, I say it out loud, and you know, people go, oh, your voice. You're, I don't know if it's my voice or if it's the message I'm delivering to them or I'm you know, telling them that they just had the greatest day of their life. And you know what? They are number one. They're a winner, and they, they're living life to the fullest. And guys, I've had, it's it's just, I guess it's, you could probably explain it better than me sometimes. 
No, no, I think you nailed it there. Uh, one question I do have you have you have you tried to copyright it? Like the guy who did Let, Let's Get Ready to Rumble, he owns that saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he owns it. And so, is it something you've looked explored doing on that front? Yeah, I have. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I I worked with the same attorney with uh, Michael Buffer, who says, you know, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. But it, I I couldn't at the time. This was a you know a time. This was before this regime at Iron Man. The reason. I can't really do it is Iron Man is a trademark product and name and I don't own it. Uh, okay. I don't own the word Iron Man. So if I, if I would trademark, you are an Iron Man, Iron Man would have had to give me complete permission to do it uh, and have that trademark. I haven't really pursued it. And you know what? I, I don't, I don't want it to be a thing to where people think they can't say it. If, if my son's announcing a race and I'm not there or, or uh, somebody else in Europe, Michael, you know, Paul Kay's doing a race in Europe, and he's, I want him to say, you are an Ironman. Yeah. And people come up, Mike, it's not the same. You know what, dude, you're still an Ironman. So it, trademarking is not a high priority. You know, I think through the ages, people know that I kind of came up with it, and, and it was, it was, I don't want to say it was mine, because it's not, it's everybody's. But I don't think I need to trademark it to prove a point. You know what I mean? And it is a part of your legacy, isn't it? Uh, some people say, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, no, no, it definitely is. You know, hearing Mike Riley say you are an Iron Man is pretty special. Hey, um, so this is, uh, I saw an article or, or an interview you might have done in, in 2002, I think it was, with, uh, with somebody at Slow Twitch, um, I think it might have been Catherine from Slow Twitch at the time, and um, saying how hard it is to obviously pick out memories from you know, the hundreds of races you've done. Um, Cam was saying to me that one of your fond memories was uh, when Cam, you, Cam Brown, you gave Cam Brown the phone and he called his wife when he finished uh, second in, in Hawaii. So maybe if, if you have got any um, memories that really do shine out for you, maybe share a couple of those with us. Yeah, that was a very special, because it became, it became a humorous thing. And when Jane Patterson actually, Mike, I've got, I've got uh, Cam's wife on the phone. I go, are you kidding me? So I go, hi, hi, honey, how you doing? Oh, Mike, did he really? I go, yeah, he finished second. Here I am, because back then, the end, there was no internet. I mean, there was internet, but not much. So anyway, I, Cam was sitting on the ground, and I sat down there. I go, I, I'm sorry, I forgot her name. Near, no, what's her oh, name? Jane, uh, Jane. Yeah, I've got her on the phone. He goes, really? I go, tell her how much money you won. Because it was 60, it was, uh, I, I may get the figures wrong, but it was, uh, it, let's say it was 50,000 for second place. Yeah. And so he goes, I won 50,000. And then he converted it. I won 68,000. <laughs> and he went nuts on the phone. And he said it out loud over because I had the microphone in his face too. And, and, and everybody died laughing. And I go, yeah, dude, that's unbelievable. And it realized like, wow, that's a big paycheck. Yeah. And, and I deserve it. And I go, you're second, you're second place. So I've had, oh gosh, you know, when Sarah Reinerston didn't finish, she was the first below the knee amputee female to attempt Kona and she didn't finish. Cannondale made her a bike and put unfinished business on it. She came back the next year and, she made the bike cut off, and when I brought her in, uh, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the house because nobody believed that maybe a female leg amputee can finish Ironman, and, and she did. It's those first. It was, uh, oh, gosh. It was when, you know, Heather Fuhrer won her first one, and I'm thinking there's an American winning this race, and it, it, Paula didn't win it. Heather won the race. I, I mean, it was, like, unbelievable. It's like when... 
when people I was close to that battled cancer and I got so many guys I could, that's why the book is being put together on all those memories. Uh, and there were highlights for the, these people's lives and there were highlights for the event. Not whether it was in Kona or whether it was in Taupo or, or Coeur d'Alene. I mean, they're, they're all like that. Uh, it's just, you know, to see, I, because when Cam, if he'd have won Taupo, he'd have been the oldest male Ironman winner in the history of the sport. Wow. And I was on race day. I'm thinking back. Oh my God, we had a 40 year old. He was a dentist. He's from Canada. He won Florida. Yes. And I was at a blank on his name and somebody gave me his name. I go, yeah, that was him. He did it. So we looked it up. I sent it to Heppenstall, and he goes, right, if Cam wins, he will be the oldest ever to win an Ironman. And obviously he came in second. And that would have, I mean, those are the kind of moments I like putting together and having because they they mark a, they're a history mark in the, in the sport. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like I said before, my best memories are about ready to happen. I, I truly believe that. Let's what, bring on the best memory from Melbourne. Let's see what happens. What was your toughest day? Well, you know, like, what was the day where it was like, you know, like, I'm sure, um, like, you know, when you've experienced as you are, you know how to bring the A game and, and, uh, and you know how to deliver the experience. But do you have a day where you look back and go, oh, that was definitely the hardest day I've had doing this thing? Yeah, my hardest days of when we would, we, we lost a life at a couple oh. events. Oh, really? And yeah. obviously that always happens in the water. So, uh, and I have to, I have to buffer it. You know, I, I know and hear that it happens. Uh, you know, one I saw happen not far from me. Oh, what was and that then, like? uh, well, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. And I don't really know whether or not they didn't make it to the hospital or things, but you hear later on in the day. And then I have to turn it. I have to say to myself, you know what? There's, you know, gosh, I feel for the family. I feel for everybody. It's so sad, but I've got, 2,500 other people out there that are continuing with their dreams. So I have to turn that mode back on. And it's not that I'm acting. It's that the other thing is in the back of my mind. I have to push it back there, deal with it at another time, and have the day go on to be a great and glorious day. So there's a dichotomy there with me personally that is uh, sometimes hard to deal with, but I, I deal with it. I, ha- I have to because those, those other athletes, I don't want to do away with their day because, because something happened that was kind of tragic. Uh, and the crew that's putting on the race, they have to do the same. We all have to do the same thing. We're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. That person's going to finish. The winner's going to come in. That person that wanted to break 12 hours is going to do it. That one before midnight, and you've got to give them. It's got to be their day. So those are, those are difficult days. Those are, you know, and then the next difficult is obviously weather, you know, holy, you know, the Taupo, the Taupo years and you go, are you kidding me? Uh, Wisconsin one year, it was over 33 degrees. You're, you know, over 105 degrees. People were dropping like flies and I'm going, what the hell? Uh, Lake Tahoe last year where there was ice on the lake when we started them, you're going, are you kidding me? So those are tough days to get through because physically you're getting beat up or the rain's happening all day long and you keep thinking, get to the next hour, help them through to the next hour. And, and those are the ones the next day you're waking up going, I feel like I was run over by a truck. Yeah. But, but you know, so those are two, you know, the weather and, 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 you know, things not happening great because of something happening to a person. Those are the tough days. What about, um, you know, when you look back, are there any particular funny stories that you're kind of, you know, I don't know when you're telling, you know, when you're with your mates, you kind of tell, 
Yeah, there's, you know, one of the best things I like using, I do it over and over again, and the crew always hear me saying it, you know, and I always, the crowd's going crazy, and, you know, I've, I've said it, I don't know, God, a hundred times, and I'll, I'll look at the crowd and I'll go, okay, if you think the music's too loud, and the voices are too loud, and I think they think I'm going to say I'm going to turn it down, because you see older people in the crowd, and yeah. it's loud down there. Hell, it's a wonder I still hear. So uh, it, I say to them, if your music's too loud and the voice is too loud, then you're too old. And they go, oh, they laugh. I go, and you don't want to be that. So, baby, let's rock and roll. And it puts them in a concert mode. It puts them in a crazy mode. And, and you know, you're using humor to, to, to make sure they give the athletes everything you can give them. Or I'll see somebody coming down the finish chute, and they have two different names. It could be Mary Brown and Jack Smith. And they're holding hands. And I'm going, oh, this is interesting. I go, hey, Mary Brown from so-and-so, Jack Smith from so-and-so, and they're holding hands, and they met each other about 2K ago. And everybody dies laughing. They go, oh, my God, they hooked up on the course. You know, it's like, a, is this a dating service? So there's things you can do at the finish line to keep the humor aspect in it. Uh, you know, and, and some people will be leaning to one side or the other, and I go, oh, my God, we got a leaner. And the guy even knows he, they try to straighten up, but they're freaking done. You know, they're, they're leaning to the right or left. Their body is done. And they actually, you see a smirk on their face. They go, yeah, Riley called it out. I look like shit. I know I do, you know, but I, I, I still bring them in and, and you, you just got to keep that aspect of, you know, it's, keep it fun. And, uh, I'll see guys that really are macho and you know, they won't smile and they're coming out of the water and I'll see him during the day. I go, that dude is serious. But when they're coming to the finish line, I own them and I'll go, Hey, Jimmy Brown, look at you. You look pretty good. You should have trained a little more. And they start laughing like, yeah, okay, dude, <laughs> you got me, you know? So uh, you, you just, you just keep the humor in the day. And I don't, you don't try to make jokes and try to be a comedian because it never works. It's got to work for the moment yeah. and it works for the athlete. And, that's when humor comes into play. I've had people, you know, I've been down on the finish last things and people say some weird, weird things to me. You know, uh, uh, Mike, did I, did I just finish or do I still have to go further? <laughs> no, dude, you're done. I called you an Ironman. Yeah. Oh, okay. You go, man. Okay. Medical, take care of this one here. You know, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a mash unit down there. I love it. I, um, we've had, you know, we, we try to get administrators and help, um, people who have supported the, the sport on, on the show and we've had, you know, Jim Curl and Carl Thomas and Mike Plant and, and now yourself and um, Lauren Barnett and people like that on, on the show. Um, you know, um, who, who sort of maybe, is there anybody you want to single out who's, who really helped you in the, in the early years in terms of, you know, finding your feet? I guess you were a bit of a pioneer in what you were doing, but um, are there any names that you think, oh, that guy never really got any credit for what he was doing or, or anything like that of guys that influenced me to yeah, do what yeah. I do or yeah yeah there's 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 been a few there's there's uh obviously I, I was always into public speaking my brother's a tremendous public speaker and he got me to go to Toastmasters and I've gone through all the ranks of Toastmasters on speaking uh the other one is my wife you know she kind of taught me when I'm on a microphone, it's not about the words I and me. And you're very seldom all day long hear me say I or me. Mm. I just won't do it. And and the reason you don't do that is because it's not about the person behind the microphone or the voice going over the speaker system. It's about what they're talking about and the who they're giving the congratulations and Adelaide to. And she would she would be my worst critic. 
And I, I do remember in Kona a couple of times and in the early years when I'd be working with somebody I didn't know if I could work with, uh, I wasn't the lead announcer. And I'll never forget, one morning I was walking to the race. It was like 4.30 in the morning. And it was back in the day when there was pay phones. I stopped. And since California was three hours ahead, she was up. I called my wife. I go, God, I, I'm a little nervous about today. This, you know, I hope I can work with this person. I hope this. And she goes, hey, just be yourself. And it's not about you. Take care of the athletes. And that's what drives me on. You know, I get emotional about it because the mentors in my life have, have given me the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I've given myself a lot of right direction because I, I don't want it to be. It's hard for me to even have conversations like this because, you know, there's so many things out there that people do that are greater than us. And I just want to make sure I've been given the talent to be able to let people know that those things they did, they are great. Mm -hmm. And you need to be noticed and you need to be taken care of. And maybe people hear the passion and the emotion in my voice when I tell them an Ironman, because I want each one to be different and special. And I want them to react to it because I know if they do, then they realize what they did was a monumental text task and their families know it and their and the kids know it and they pass it on and as hokey as it sounds their world and the world becomes a little better place because that person gets to go out in it and they're and they're an iron man uh it's yeah yeah you know and you can get deep into it but on the day you know it's it's about those people that gave me the direction to do what i do uh and you know mike plant was the first to bring me over to to Kona. He gave me that opportunity and I'll thank him for the rest of my life. Uh, it, 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 Jim Curl set the stage and would hire me for USTS and she, he goes, keep doing what you're doing. It's great. People love it. Uh, you know, and, and when Valerie Silk made that phone call to bring me over to Kona with Mike, I, you know, those people are, and when the CEOs of companies come up to me and go, this event would not be what it is today without you. Thank God you're here. And you know, that keeps me going. Mike, that I, makes it. Are you sorry, yeah? No, go ahead. Uh, just, just how do you find the whole being a public figure? Because, you know, like, uh, it's funny, I, I, in the fitness world, I have this uh, kind of similar experience to you where in certain environments, I'm a big public figure. Um, and luckily, most of the time, I don't spend my time in that place. But I imagine you turn up to an Ironman, you're a big public figure. Um, how do you make sure you look after yourself in that environment? I don't know. I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I have people coming up to me that we've got a connection. It's not like somebody's walking up to some actor for an autograph and you, you never, you only saw him behind a television. You know, people, we have a connection. So I don't feel intimidated or, yeah, I'm known in public in that circle. And, I, and I, it's okay. We've got that connection. And I want to hear did I call you an Iron Man? Oh, yeah, dude, this is what you said. This was the song that's playing. And I've had people come up to me, I've done eight Ironmans, and you've got me in seven of them. They'll, they'll t- I go, what happened to the one? I don't know. I don't think I heard it. I go, you were delirious. You know, I do the whole thing, and they laugh. And, and they actually tell, they'll tell me what I said each time, eight different times. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, and I think, wow. And we've got a connection there. So it's not like it's a hero worship thing or and people do come up and say sometimes things that are a little embarrassing and and people around me that are friends are going dude i don't believe that person just said that i go yeah you you get that a lot i mean guys the connection with iron man think about it 
You got the person that did the race. You got their family that could have been there. You got their cousins who heard about it. I'll be walking to an airport with an Iron Man shirt on, and sometimes I don't do that now just because. And people will come up and go, "Dude, you're you're," uh, and I go, "Yeah." And they'll hear my voice. Yeah, you're the guy. You're Mike Riley. I've heard that voice forever. Oh my! You called my cousin an Iron Man. He thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I want to do an Iron Man one day. Oh my gosh! Wait, can you get a picture with me? I can't wait till he sees I was with you in the airport, and people are around going, "Who the hell's this guy?" Because they don't recognize me. I don't, I'm not some guy on TV. <laughs> And 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 then people will go, who are you? And I go, oh, I I work Iron Man events. And you work them how? Well, I I announce them and call them an Iron Man. I go, oh my God, I've heard you on TV. And there's a bigger connection than we think. I I never knew there was that big of a connection, but it it goes through the families and the friends, and it kind of flows downhill or uphill or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, is it a celebrity thing? I don't see myself as a celebrity. Never in a million years will I see that because. It, because I'm part of the sport like they are. Yeah. I'm just, I'm on the ground with them. So mm-hmm. we're just all one great big happy family and we're meeting each other for the first time sometimes. <laughs> I guess that's what it's like. Just just probably my last question is, is of, of the pro athletes, who have been the pro athletes you've probably had the most respect for over the years that you've been doing this and, and why? Oh gosh, I, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for Paula Newby Frazier. I think she was a tremendous pioneer. She was one of the pros in the early days that you could get close to. You couldn't get close to Dave and Mark and Scott and, and, and you could get close to Tinley, but Paula talked those guys how, Hey guys, you got to be open. These are age groupers or athletes that are doing the race like we are. And she would talk to people, smile. And she just taught me and others how to be approachable and, and, you know, Mark and Dave could never figure out, how can Paula talk to all those people? You know, you have to be in the zone. You have to be this. Uh, I respected those guys. I respect, you know, Mark and Dave and Scott, the big four. And, and then Greg Welch came along, and I go, look at this dude. He is having fun. Oh, my gosh, he's having a blast. He parties like an animal. He races like an animal. He, he, is that well-rounded? Well, to some pros' eyes, it wasn't, but I respected him for it. He he never wavered from who he was as a as a person. Mm-hmm. He, but he's a world champion. He was an Olympic, you know, he was Olympic distance champion. He was a long distance champion. He still did it. Did he win Kona six times? Seven? No. But you know, he's happy with who he is. You know, I, I was, uh, gosh, tremendous amount of respect for Natasha Bodman. I, I just thought she was in a class of her own. You know, I, uh, the, the other guys, I mean, you know, like Cam Brown, I, I just respected him immensely for who he was. I like where he's gone, being a family man, being, you know, now I get, now I get to see these guys having kids, mm-hmm. the guys and gals having children and passing it on. I knew them when they were single and out there playing around. So, <laughs> and I was always married as a family man with kids and I go, one day it's going to happen to them. And you see him passing it on. You go, my God, that's tremendous. Uh, Craig Alexander, who I, 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 I like him a lot. He, I respect him immensely. And he's just a well-rounded human being. Mm-hmm. And he's given a lot to the sport and the sport owes him a lot. And, and do you see it in new champions? Sure. I see it in new champions. I see it, you know, Marinda just getting married. She's going to see you know, one day. She'll be in the same shoes as other people 10 years from now, you know, having a family and do it. So I haven't really met too many assholes as pros. 
I've met a couple, and I'm not going to say who they are. <laughs> and, Go on. But that's, but that's always, you know what, that's always who they were. Yeah. I, I got along with them, and I could kind of sit and have a strong conversation with them, like, dude, you don't want to do that or say that. Why? What's wrong? No, you don't want to do that. Why would you do that? It disgraces yourself. It doesn't respect the sport, and there's no reason to do it. And sometimes they'd tone it down, and sometimes they wouldn't, but that's who they were. Mm. And would I go out and break bread with them? Would I have dinner with them? No. Some I have. And, and uh, Mike, you tell me how it is. And I do that one-on-one. I don't do it in public. I don't say, God, he was a jerk for saying that. And I would never do that in public. Why? Yeah. why? It would kind of take the sport down, and, and they're going to do it anyway. But privately, I, I could have strong conversations with people because, one, I had nothing to lose. Two, I wasn't doing it to make me feel better. I wanted to make the sport feel better and figure it would improve him as a human. You know, you just let me give him a little advice. And some would take it and some wouldn't. Mm. So it's just just kind of the way it was. Or right. is. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just in terms of your just in terms of your general schedule, so people know where you are. I mean, you, you obviously do Kona. We know you do Taupo. Um, you do Melbourne. Um, what's what's your what's your sort of annual gig usually? Uh well, it usually, you know, after after Melbourne, I'm not going to Port Macquarie. I kind of wanted to do Port this year because I think it's going to be the retirement of Ken Baggs, who there's a guy I, I respect immensely in the sport. He he was the one that brought me to Foster and had confidence in me, as no other Australians did, because I was this foreigner speaking in their country, and I understood that. I, I understood that completely. How come we got a Yank over here? And and I think that was the first when I went to Taupo. People go, ah, how, how? but then they realized. I was kind of universal, and Ken Baggs was just, you know, that's why I would have liked to go on to port this year, so I'm not. So, uh, but in May, it starts the U.S. swing. So, Texas, Coeur d'Alene, Lake Placid, Boulder's a new race, so I'm doing Boulder, which is the week after Lake Placid, so I'll do back-to-back Ironmans. I, I can only do that once or twice a year. That's a tough turnaround. Yeah. And then uh, I'll go to Montreblanc up in Canada, and then I'll go to Wisconsin, uh, I'll do Chattanooga in September. That's the new one in the U.S. Mm. Frankfurt is still up in the air, whether I go back to Frankfurt in July, which I'd really like to do, uh, and, then, uh, and then Kona. You know, I, I, I wish I could do a lot more of the European races, but then I wouldn't be at the U.S. races. I just can't be everywhere. You know, you got 20 what? We got the 34 Ironmans. I mean, you just can't be everywhere. So, mm. and, and, you know, my, my son is working with me. at Here he was, a you know, minor league uh, professional baseball player turned triathlete. It's funny seeing him. He did Ironman Arizona last November. Uh, and, and you want to hear a funny story. I'm doing a TV interview in Arizona. And the guy goes, so you've, he, he did his research. He goes, you've called like 350,000 times you said you're an Ironman. I go, yeah, probably around then. They go, well, now your son's doing the race on, on uh, Saturday. What's that going to be like doing it with him? Will it, will it compare to the other ones? And I looked at him, I go, are you kidding me? It'll be the best Ironman I ever call. It'll be the most memorable I'll ever do, calling my son an Ironman. And, and it was. So now he is announcing a few races. He works Hawaii with me now. He'll do two of the Ironmans in the U.S. And he, hearing him do it and say it, it's kind of weird. And, you know, remember, he was four years old when I announced my first Ironman. Yeah. He's twenty seven years old now and he's been listening to it and he loves it he's got a passion for it uh i'll have guys come up to me at a race and go who's been there with me forever they go, dude i've been listening to your ass for 25 years when andy said you're an iron man 
oh my God, it gave me weird chills. It's like listening to you 20 years ago. This is so weird. <laughs> so, nice. so, uh, so I'll stick to the U.S. during the summer months and then obviously finish with Kona. And in November, I'll do Arizona. Oh. So oh, I always want to come back to Taupo. I mean, that's, that's kind of, I want to do that until I'm not doing it anymore. Uh, just I've got a strong connection to that place. And then uh, I always want to do one in Australia because that's that was where I started after Hawaii. That was the first time I ventured outside of, you know, Hawaii. Very so nice. I've got a good, you know, great connection there too. Cool. Well, I'll see if I can I'll see if I can pull out another sprint finish in Kona and uh, see see how we go there. But Mike, hey, it's been a real pleasure for you uh, for us having you on the yeah, show. Yeah, it's great, know? mate. Um, we'd love to know a bit about the man behind the mic, and uh, you've shared some great stories there. So um, we know, you know, everybody out there appreciates what you're doing and keep up the good work. And we will see you in Kona. Yeah, you will. And, and you know what? I thank you guys because you know you have a forum and you're doing things to make sure that obviously the history of the sport stays solid, that people learn about it, and that uh, we grow. And, mm. You know, it's all to me, it's all about swim, bike, and run, whether it's Ironman, whether it's ITU, whether it's, you know, challenge anybody else. I'm, I, that's why I helped start Triathlon Business International four years ago with a bunch of us trying to create the businesses of triathlon globally stronger because we're all in the same boat. It's swim, bike, run. Mm. Yeah, I'm the voice of Ironman, but I don't want to – I want everybody to live in the same world and our sport to grow so that – that that 16 year old boy or girl goes i want to be a triathlete mm. you know and i want to and i want them in the sport the rest of their lives we you know we can't go on rest on our laurels we have to keep growing so thank you to you guys for helping that happen oh we appreciate no it mate. awesome mike thank you very much for your time all right boys have a great day awesome jumbo your thoughts well that was a great interview that yeah. we did I don't even know when we did it. It's probably about 10 years ago now. It's yeah. a while ago. Yeah. No, it wasn't that long ago. Was it? Yeah, it was, that was reasonably recent. Okay. Um, things get blurred with bloody COVID. Was it pre... Is it what, no, it was well it was, before COVID. Well, pre, pre-COVID? Yeah, we, we haven't been that consistent with legends. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> In all fairness. Yeah. Um, so that's a good guy. And well, and, 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 you know, we went th- when we talked about this on IM Talk, you know, when he f- did that last race... The amount of people of him saying people come across the line, hearing him say you you are an Iron Man, is is a pretty special thing. And, and unfortunately, now that never happens again in the sport. Now, I'm sure someone else will say you are an Iron Man, but you know his his time in the sport and his legacy in the sport is pretty bloody massive. Mm-hmm. And so, it's quite cool to kind of recognise that in today's show. So, how do you think you're going in your Everesting? So yeah, today is Everesting Day. Um, I'm got, well, geez, we'll probably release this. I've around. got a shit memory. <laughs> Twenty fourteen. We yeah, so that was that 10 years ago, March, March 25th, 2014. There you go. Crikey dick. Uh, everything is happening today, yeah, team. It's the 27th over here in New Zealand. And right now, I'll be, well, yeah, I think it's gone all right. I think it's gone okay. You think, you, you think you're doing all right? I think the legs are ha- will hold up okay. Uh, just got to be conscious with the nutrition, not go too early on some of my, um, you know, the, the caffeine and stuff like that. Yep. Um, I'm thinking, I think when we spoke to Terry, you know, I think the first third, pretty straightforward. The last quarter, you'll have the, the finish line in sight. Yep. It's that middle sort of third that that's when the challenge and probably the tail end of that middle third when you still got quite a bit to go. <sighs> Um, I did six the other day, and I was getting I was, the sixth one. I was like, mm, 
Yeah, a little bit over this. <laughs> and I've got to do 24 reps. So what's, 20, um, what's the longest tw- time you've ever exercised nonstop? Like, oh, you know, I know I think, you can have some little breaks along the way. I think it was, it was the, the epic camp day on my 40th. And that was, that was, but even still, that was only 12 hours. This is going to be 12 hours continuous ride time. So this will, this will definitely be the longest mm-hmm. single exercise I've done before, I think. Yeah, which is interesting because you're a fast Ironman. A lot of people do 17 hours, don't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's say thank you to our sponsors and patrons. Yep. Uh, so a couple of other patrons. We've got Rob, the Detail Deliverer Grey, Parker, Barney Day, and How Now Brown Cow Dolphin. I think it's actually Hugh, not How, but we, we when we originally pronounced his name, H-U-W, um, I think it's Hugh. How now, brown cow, dolphin. There we go. Uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, go www.imtalk.me. Uh, you become a patron. You can also get the show emailed to you at the bottom of the front page. Coaching Coach John Newsom, Epic Camp, EpicCamp.com. My podcast, Bevan James Isles Show, go to BevanJamesIles.com. Or get my book, Passion About Excites. It's a great book for people to read as they head into the new year because let's be honest, most people want to bring exercise in, they don't know how to, so it's a good gift book. You can pass it on to someone. Also, as you go week, cool websites, other feedback, you can email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to know if I was successful with Everesting, you just follow me on Strava uh, and you'll be able to go and check it out uh, to see if I actually made it or not. I'll be there for a couple of laps. There you go. Yep. What nice. are you doing for New Year's? Don't know yet. You've been, you've been still in Christchurch, haven't you? Mm, either Christchurch or Nelson. Don't really know. Just winging it. Mate, New Year's. I haven't I was had, a, a, girl had, had day. a big New Year's for a long girl time. Girl comes to the gym called Hebe. Lovely girl. And she she basically said, you know what I did last week, Bevan? I said, what's this? Like, like on Sunday, and this is like on Wednesday. Mm. Go, what's that? She goes, I booked a flight to Bali. I'm going to Bali tomorrow for a month. <laughs> nice. Nice. Have you ever done that? No. <laughs> I'd love to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm so structured. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and organised. And it wasn't cheap, but mm. Bali's pretty cheap once you get there, but... Mm. Can't have sex over there anymore unless you're married. Well, she is single, mm. so she's not. She's got to be careful. <laughs> Put on a new law. Oh, they're not going to police. They're not going to police it on uh, tourists. But it's like, oh, it they makes, say that today. It still makes you think twice about going places like that. Well, it's like the World Cup football. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Did you watch the final? Uh, I know I this watched, is now three weeks late. <laughs> yeah, I only watched the last. But when I I did, I drove Tom to swimming uh, at five o'clock, and he said it's two 0 I was like, "Oh, well, that's going to be a bit of a downer for the rest of the game." Yeah. And uh, and then when I saw it went to two two, then I turned it on and watched the last bit from there. It's pretty exciting. Who did you want to win? Um, I was indifferent. Probably leaned toward France. So oh, did you? because I've spent so much time in France. I oh, see. I went for Argentina just because of Messi's legacy. Mm. You know, seems like a really nice guy. Mm. Okay, uh, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.